Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, we'll be hearing from Tom Cantor about the personal relevance of the Passover from Exodus chapter 12. Here's Tom. Hi, I'm Tom Cantor, and I would like to explain to you how I, as a Jew, came to understand the true meaning of Passover. You know, growing up in a Jewish home where my uh, grandfather was an Orthodox rabbi and my father was uh, conservative, but we always celebrated Passover every year and had people over to our house, and it was a family affair, and we went through the Haggadah, and the joke's been made that it was very similar to all the Jewish holidays. The Gentiles tried to kill us. God saved us. Let's eat. But it was an interesting time, and it was a, it was a time when, when, when uh, I always looked forward to it, not just for the family getting together, but what did it all mean? And I went through my life wondering, I wonder if I'll ever really understand why is this empty table setting here for the prophet Elijah? Why do we open the door and why do we go through all these, these different drinkings of the cups and dippings and eatings and recounting the story? Well, it wasn't until I was 19 years old when I read something that a Jewish man wrote. It was called Johann. Johannan the baptizer, Johannan the immerser, John the Baptist. And when he saw one person for the first time in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That person was the Jewish Messiah, the God who became man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that about him. And I remember reading that for the first time, and I thought, the Lamb of God. And then I, I read on further, and he, the second time he saw the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. That sparked me. And I remember also when I was at uh, Passover gathering in Cincinnati in uh, 1969. And uh, I was over at my Aunt Mary's house and with the family there, Aunt Mary was about this tall. She was a first grade teacher. Her husband, we called him Uncle Pete, was about this tall, bald, thick glasses, smoked cigars. Well, Uncle Pete, he was henpecked. In fact, he got up in the morning and Aunt Mary pretty much told him what to think. And, uh, but we were there at the Passover time and we'd just gone through the Haggadah and Aunt Mary was getting the cold chicken soup out of the kitchen. And... Um, Uncle Pete's enjoyment in life was to irritate Aunt Mary. And I sit next to him, and so he reaches over to me, and he goes, Now watch this! And he jabs me. And he just says something absolutely scandalous as he blurts out, Christians believe Christ was the Passover lamb. What immediately Aunt Mary shouts from the kitchen, Pete, shut up! And he looks over at me with this big glee smile on his face. Like, isn't that a good one? Well, that's what happened. But what he said lodged in my mind. What did he just say? Christ was the Passover lamb. And, I started, and, I, and that continued my, my thinking. And it, really, all of these events drove me to go back to the source book of this in Exodus chapter 12. And that's what I'd like to, to read for you here today. Exodus chapter 12, this is the history of the Passover, the last plague, the plague that broke the back of Pharaoh and Egypt that was exterminating Israel and result, resulted in Israel being able to go free. 
And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it unto the 14th day of the month. Keep in mind they start on the 10th day. Now they're on the 14th day. That's three days of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door post of the house, whereon they sh- wherein they shall eat it. They got to eat the lamb. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So let me stop for a second and just, we're going to continue reading, but I just want to say, they ate the lamb. They didn't separate the blood from the lamb. The blood was in the lamb also. They ate the lamb. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with, with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall eat nothing of it, you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Pesach, Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you. For a token upon the houses wherein you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. That is the history of the Passover, right there. It's extremely interesting. Something to take very careful note of. Notice that this was something that God told Moses and Aaron. This didn't come out of the mind of Moses and Aaron. This didn't come out of the mind of the, of the rabbinic council. This came out of the mind of God. And God said, this is such an important event. We're going to stop the calendar. We're going to start it again here. This is going to be the first day of the month. This is your beginning day. Passover is your beginning day with me. No Passover no beginning with God. Passover starts a new calendar. Passover starts a new life. Passover starts a new birth. The Jewish Messiah said, except you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Except you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Being born again is your beginning. Passover is your beginning. We will start the calendar now. This is your new life. 
from this time. Verse 3. Speak ye, he told Moses, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel. Here's something that's worthy of all acceptation. Here's something which must be published. Here's something which must be known to all Israel. Every single person must know this. Not just to the leaders, not just to the old ones, not just to the young ones, not just to the children. Everybody must know this. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel and say this. In this time, on this date, on the tenth day of this month, you will take, you shall take to them every man a lamb. Every man a lamb. Not a lamb for every man, but every man a lamb. Every man a a lamb. A lamb. A lamb. Every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next door to his house take it unto the number of the souls. The houses were never too big for the lamb. The lamb was always big enough for the houses. Adequate. And when the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on the cross, his death was adequate for as many who would come to him. He died for everyone. His blood is there to to redeem anyone who comes to him. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. If you need two two families for a lamb, it's okay. The lamb's enough. There's never too many for a lamb. And he says to them, Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. See? It says in verse 3, take a lamb. Now all of a sudden, this a lamb has become important. And it's not just a lamb, it's the lamb. Oh yes, I've I've gone through the herd here. I found this lamb. uh, uh, I have a lamb. I have a lamb right here. Here, here's Here's a lamb. He gets taken out of the herd. He's put over here. We're watching him for three days. Who, what's that? Well, that's not a lamb. That was a lamb over there. No, no that's the lamb. Oh, is he, over here, he was a lamb. No, no, now he's the lamb. What do you mean the lamb? Well, over here, was a, he was a lamb among the herd, but now he's the lamb for our house. Now in verse 5, it says, Your lamb, your lamb shall be without blemish. A transformation is taking place. A lamb within a herd, became separated and focused on. And now he's the lamb. I see him now. He's the lamb for the family. But now there's another transformation. Now it's not just the lamb, it's my lamb. A lamb. The lamb. My lamb. You see the progression there? God's saying, I'll present to you my Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. You'll see him as a Jewish man. But now he will become separated out from humanity. And you'll say, he is the Messiah. He was a man. He's the Messiah. He's God. One more step. He's my Messiah. He's my God. You go from A to the your, in verses 3, 4, and 5 here. And he says, your lamb shall be without blemish. You've got to find one without blemish. That was the characteristic. 
without blemish. He says, without blemish, your lamb's going to be. A male of the first year, you'll take it out from the sheep. You'll take it out from the goats. He's no longer just a good person who lived within humanity, the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You take him out in your mind. You see him as different. How is he different? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not him. He did no sin. He's out from among them. He says, you take him out and you take him apart. He's different. And he says, and you keep him to the 14th day. Remember starting the 10th day? And you keep him to the 14th day. We know very little about the Lord Jesus Christ when he was, when he was uh, growing up. We got a little bit of a glimpse when he was 12 years old. It was like he was living behind a wall and a rose was thrown over the wall. And we got to see something where he got lost in a Passover crowd and his parents couldn't find him. And they went back to Jerusalem and they found him disputing, 12 years old, with the rabbis and the teachers in the, in the temple there. And, and what happened is they said, his mother came to him and said, don't you know how you caused our, our hearts to worry for you? And he said, wish you not? that I must be about my father's business. And then the door was closed. And obscurity continued on for the 30 years when he was growing up. We don't know what happened. We know that he, he learned obedience by the things he suffered, but we don't know. We don't know. Until finally, that day where I started off, when he presented himself openly, and John the Baptist said, Behold, public, the Lamb of God. He's come out from the obscurity of growing up for his 30 years. It's the 10th day. The Lamb has presented himself. And he was, he was open, and he was in the temple, and he was among the people, and he was teaching on mountainsides, and he was in a boat teaching the people, and he, everybody, and people resorted to him, and the sick were healed, and they heard his words, and he fed thousands, and everybody saw him, and he hardly had a moment of, of privacy in his own. He had to resort onto mountaintops to be alone with his father, but he made himself available in public. His enemies saw him, his friends saw him, his family saw him. Three years he was under observation, like the three days of the Lamb. And then he said, To all, friends, family, enemies especially, which of you convinceth me of sin? Which of you can point out in my life sin? Which of you can say, I sinned? And nobody could say he sinned. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. The centurion said when he died, this was a righteous man. Nobody found any sin in him. The lamb was on display for three days. And he was without blemish. And he was under observation. The lamb was on display in the family for three days. And they watched, is there anything wrong with his knees? Does he have any mucus in his nose? Does his gum look okay? Are there any abscesses on his body? Is there anything wrong with this lamb? And they said, no, he's a lamb without blemish. And for three years, is there anything that he said that's wrong? Is there any sin that he said? Did anybody see anything that he did? And they said, no, he has no fault. He's without blemish. He is qualified. The God who became a man, the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been on display for three years. He is qualified. The lamb that we have separated and watched for three days, he's without blemish. The lamb is qualified. 
He passed his qualification test. And then it says, okay, three days. The lamb has passed his qualification test. And the end of verse 6 it says, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lamb. Shall kill it in the evening. He passed his qualification test after three years. And what happened? He was killed. He was qualified. He was without blemish. The lamb was qualified. He was without blemish. The lamb was qualified to die. The lamb was qualified to die. And they killed it. Then what? He says, Now, this lamb, you take the blood. You take the blood of the lamb. You shall take of the blood. I thought he was dead. Can I walk away? No. You take the blood. You collect the blood. The Bible says in Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. It speaks for his life. You take that blood of that lamb. You take like a reed, hyssop. Think of it like a paintbrush. Paintbrush. You take that blood. You turn around. You go to the door of your house. You take the blood on the hyssop like a paintbrush. You apply the blood to the top of my house. You strike it, the Bible says, on the top of the doorpost. You strike it on the mezuzah, the, 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 the doorpost here. Strike it on the lintel. Strike it on the doorpost. You strike it on the other doorpost here. That's the shape of a cross. Top, side, side. Strike, strike, strike. Blood running down. They took the lamb. They nailed him to a cross. They put him up in the air. Looks like a door. They had a crown of thorns on his head. Blood is dripping from his head. Blood is dripping from the lintel over the door. Blood is dripping from this hand and this hand. Blood is dripping from this doorpost and this doorpost. The blood has been applied by the family, as God said. Tom, uh, that scene we just left of the dripping blood off the door is moving. Why did God choose to save man through blood? First of all, we have to let God be God. And he tells us what the need is. He said, God said in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, this was not the first time that he said this, because actually he said this in the creation. As soon as he created man, he told man, he said, I'm putting you in a garden. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of the tree. And he said, because in the day you eat the, the fruit of the knowledge of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will die. And so he said, sin was always associated with death. 
Sin is death. Man sinned, he brought in, in, in death into the world. So in Ezekiel, when he said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, it's like a universal principle. And now God comes in and he says, as only he can, I'm going to tell you how to be saved from sin, how to be saved from death. Sin has stung every single one of us. Death is our destiny. Death is our consequence. And it takes God to save us from that. And so we looked to God and we said, okay, God, how, what shall we do? Tell us. And the scene that we just left was of Moses telling the Jewish people, this is what God says you have to do. And the principle behind this really was seen almost in the beginning there at the first murder when Cain killed Abel. And it says in Genesis 4, verse 10, that when he came to Cain, God said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. He said, the voice of your brother's blood. He said, he said to Cain, I hear the voice of Cain from the blood from Cain's, sorry, I hear the voice of Abel from Abel's blood, which is on the ground because Cain had killed him. He said, I hear his, his voice of your brother's blood, the voice of blood. The blood is associated with life. The blood is associated with the, with the person. That's why he said the voice of Abel's blood was crying unto God from the ground. And so then, as Moses was teaching the Jewish people about this importance, he laid out a foundational truth in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, when he said this, the life of the flesh is in the blood. God said, the life is in the blood, just like he was talking about earlier when Abel's blood was crying to him. He said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And then God said, I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, to make an atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. You know what we need? We need a work because we need an at one We need a work of forgiveness. We need a work to bring us reconciliation with God. We need a work to bring us to a friendship with God. That's not just something that happens automatically. That's not something that happens because I was born into a Jewish family. I was born into a Christian family. No, 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 no. That's not at all the case. That's not something that happens because somebody sprinkled some water on me when I was young. That's not something that happens because someone circumcised me when I was eight days old. That's a very, very essential work to bring friendship with God that is, that's called making an atonement for the soul, to make an atonement. That work was done by God when he became a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that time when he became a lamb, he did that so that he could become the lamb of God. And the lamb of God was to be sacrificed. And the lamb of God was sacrificed on a cross. 
And when the Lamb of God was sacrificed, his blood came out of him, and it was that blood that made an atonement for the soul. That's what God did. It made an atonement for the soul. And he said, it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. In order to teach the Jewish people this truth, God gave the Jewish people the whole system of the sacrifices. And all the sacrifices and the millions and millions of animals which were killed, it was all about the blood. The blood of the animals that was offered, the blood of the animals that was sprinkled on the altar, the blood of the animals, and we're going to see later in Exodus, God said, when I see the blood, then I'll pass over you. It was all about the blood. That's why the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was absolutely essential to make an atonement for the souls, and that's what he did on the cross. Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom will continue with the personal relevance of the Passover from Exodus chapter 12. If you'd like to learn more about Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministries, visit our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you'll find more resources to help you with your friendship with God. Thanks for listening. And join us tomorrow at the same time.